Turn with me over <clears throat> to the book of um, John, and we're going to read two considerable passages of Scripture. This conference has been pretty amazing. Um, we're, 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 uh, we're getting spoiled because the preaching is just so good. It's, the worship is just so amazing. The fellowship is over the top. You just, Lord, I, what do I, when I go back to church, it's not going to be this. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Help me to be happy. The title of the message today is Pressed, the Pathway to Casual Power. Pressed, the Pathway to Casual Power. John 18, verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to look at Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 51. John 18, verses 1 through 11. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Verse 3. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, cohort and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with the lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the, all the, all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Who do you seek? Verse 5, and they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas also was betraying, who was also betraying him, was standing with him. And when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Verse 7, therefore he asked again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go to their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. And Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it back and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. Verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into your sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Luke 22, 39-51. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from, from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Verse 44, and being in agony as he was fervently praying, and his sweat became drops of blood falling down from the ground. Verse 45, and when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, 
Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw, he saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike them with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Lord, help us, please, as we study. Four things about this passage that I'd like to talk to you about. One, the place of Gethsemane. Two, what it means to really intercede. Three, identification. And four, how you graft things back that have been removed. Jesus, as you know, is at this point, the night before he is going to go through the greatest torture any human has ever experienced and he has gotten his disciples together they've had their moment um, with the last supper and he's bringing them out to a place of prayer whereby he hopes they would enter in so that there might be a unique bond of fellowship in this opportunity you know there there are important moments in people's lives that you do not want to miss You can't hit everything, but the big ones you always want to be there for. This was a big one. When Jesus asks his disciples to pray, he's not looking for help from them. He never looked for help from them. When he asks you to pray, he's not looking for help from you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He's asking you to pray that you might participate with him, that some moment might define the environment so that you can say, remember when? A faith-building time. A springboard moment that takes you to another place that you would not have gotten to otherwise. He never had much competency around him, nor does he today. He can do whatever he needs to do better without us. He can. Those of you who have been with me long enough have heard this story. My daughter, Brooke, was four, and I was tasked with the responsibility of putting together a shelf that my bride had 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 me purchase, and it was supposed to be over the the commode in one of our bathrooms, you know, that one of those shelves where you put candles and tissue and things that men care nothing of. (laughs) But it's very beautiful. And so it was, it was in a box, and I had to put it together. And I'm, I'm not mechanically inclined. Whenever I put things together, there are always parts left over, and that's not good. <laughs> so whatever the directions tell me, um, 15, 20 minutes, do it. I, I really read them. I, I try to follow, but it doesn't work out well. And, I know it's going to take me probably twice as long as whatever it says it's supposed to be. So if, if it's a 20-minute project, it's going to take bread 40. I'm just not good at it, and I know it. My daughter comes in at the age of four, and she says, Daddy, can I help you? <laughs> you're four. <laughs> That's what my brain is. You're f- it's already going to take me twice as long. With you, it's going to take me now four times as long. No, you can't help me at all. 
But my daddy's side kicked in and said, absolutely, baby. Come on, help daddy. So I taught her how to, how to, how to use a screwdriver, both Phillips and flathead, and, and that you, 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 you want to tighten it, you turn it clockwise, you loosen it, you turn it this way, the difference between a nut and a bolt, oh, it was a great moment. And it did take us an hour. <laughs> but more was built than just the shelf. I didn't need her. God doesn't need me. But he says, come and join me. Because more gets built than just your moment in prayer. He's asking the disciples to come. And they went to this place called the Mount of Olives regularly. This was Jesus' stopping off spot whenever he needed to pray in Jerusalem. And um, the Mount of Olives was a hill upon which there were a lot of olive trees. And Gethsemane was a garden right at the foot of the Mount of Olives. The word Gethsemane itself is from the Aramaic, and it, it means olive press. Olive press. And so whenever he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, there was more happening there than just a moment to enjoy the beautiful environment of a garden and the smell of olive trees, their blossoms, or their fruit. It was a moment to find out what was on the inside. What was on the inside? And here we see Jesus in a moment of prayer, intercession. That was um, unusual. Now, it's not that he didn't pray regularly. He did. But this kind of prayer was different. The kind of prayer where he was actually asking God to remove that which he knew was his will. Lord, if there's any other way you can make this happen, I beg you, please do it. I know that for which I've come, and I'm not trying to dodge it, but I'm just letting you know that if there is another way that it can occur, let it happen. If there's something that my flesh has not been able to figure out through this process, if I've missed something, please let me know because I don't want to go through this. And it's not that he was afraid of death. It was that for which he came. I believe it was that he was, he was concerned about what death meant. That whatever he said when he got on the cross, my God, my God, out of the seven statements that were made, this one is the most perplexing. Theologically, it just confounds the mind and makes you do gymnastics in your intellect. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does that mean when you understand the concept of the triune God? I don't know, and I don't know any theologian or the aggregate minds of all theology that has been proposed by all the, the, the theologians. I don't know that they've ever figured it out. But something about what Jesus was going through made him feel for the first time in all of eternity what it was like to be separate. I don't want to go through that. I know what sin means and I know what I have to take on. And I know how much it hurts you. I don't want whatever that means when it calls for me to do it. If there's any other way, my God, please, let's figure it out. Intercession. When you go to Gethsemane, there is a pressing. And you can't get around the fact that the Christian life is one 
divine pressure moment after another. We don't understand much about pressing anymore because we don't, we don't, we don't see wine presses. We don't see olive presses. We just go to Safeway. We go to Whole Foods and we pick up whatever we want and it's in a jar and it comes out the way we desire. We don't understand any of that. I remember when I went to my grandmother's when I was young, uh, they didn't have a dryer. They had a washer and, and, and her name was Grandma. There was no washer. And so she would use a washing board. No, we didn't live next door to Adam and Eve. This was in 1960. She'd use a washing board and, and, and all to clean the clothes like that. And when you didn't have a dryer, you had to hang your clothes outside, but you couldn't hang them outside completely wet. And so the only way to get the excess water out, you couldn't get it all out, the only way to get the excess water was to use a ringer. Now, most of y'all don't know what a ringer is. But, it, but, it, but it's, it's a machine that had a little uh, handle on it with two metal roller balls, much like you would use to, to, to flatten out dough when, if you're uh, uh, you know, cooking some kind of meal with needed a pie crust, or, and you, you use your roller to flatten out the dough and make it nice and, well, you do two rollers, metal, and you use a turner, and you take the clothes, and you feed them in the roller, and the rollers were only about that thick. I mean, that, no, hardly any distance between them, but enough for, through which clothes could go. And you would take it through, and you would then see the water come out on this side, and the clothes would be drier on the other side. That's the ringer. I live there. I live there. Always feeling pressed. God, is there any other way we can do this? Is there any other way around this, oh God? Uh, Lord, we, we were over here in our, new, our old building. And, and listen, I'm, I'm grateful for whatever God gives me. I was never dissatisfied with our old building. In fact, I was so happy about our old building, which is now our, our new children's building. I was so happy with it that I didn't even care about building this one. But it was too small. We were doing five services over there. And I said, okay, I'm okay, I'm happy. And then somebody came to me and said, Pastor, we need a new building. I said, no, we don't. No, we don't. We don't need a new building. I'm good. I'm really good. Because I realized what the ringer felt like. It wasn't because I had sought God. It was because I was tired of going through the ringer. I just purchased. They came to me two years, 18 months after we had been in this building. We had just gone through a building campaign. You don't know what this does to a pastor. Listen, we go to seminary to preach. We don't go to seminary to buy property. We don't go to be architects. We don't go to be civil engineers. We don't go to try to find out what chairs need to be bought. We don't go to find out how to coordinate colors. We don't do that. Can I tell you more stuff by which we don't go? No, I don't want to do it. I'll do six services in this building. I don't care. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. 
God, if there's another way. Please, oh Lord, please, please. I said, we'll plant churches. We'll just send out people from us. And we did, we did. But we grew faster than we could send. Lord, Lord, is there another way? Is there another way? Oh, you pastors who want to grow. Like Elijah, told Elijah, you asked for a hard thing. You sure you want this? You want a double portion of this. You want a double, you want Ahab and Jezebel trying to look for you as most wanted. You want a double portion of this. That's what you want. God said, we're gonna build a new building. And and I said, okay, okay, we'll, we'll do this. And then he whispered in my ear, do it with cash. I said, what did what, what, you say? <laughs> what would you, <what'd> you say? <laughs> Do it with cash. Oh, I thought you said that. I'm just wondering, is there another way? <laughs> I don't mean to make light. Because my circumstances are not even close to those through which Christ went. Not even on the register. But he was trying to figure out, is there another way? And if we want to have the kind of power that barely needs to be sought after. Oh, I know we need to pursue spiritual gifts, and I do. I've seen things happen that only God can do. But I don't see him as often as those who are gifted to make it happen. Those who are gifted in the area of healing, amazing human beings. They don't even, there's no effort. It's, it's, it, when you see Pastor Don move in what he does, I just sit there and marvel. When I do that, it looks so weird. It just looks weird, it feels weird, but when you do it, man, it just flows like, like water out of a faucet. It's just amazing. When you see somebody and they're gifting, it's, it's just awful. Not bad, awe, full of awe. And there are things that I'm not gifted to do that I must do. Simply because I'm not gifted doesn't give me a way out. I still have to see the will of God done. So when I show up on a construction site that is uniquely spiritual, my job is to get whatever done, done. Whatever needs to be done, my job is to do it. If, it need, if, if prophecy needs to be given, I need to give it. If healing needs to be administered, I need to lay hands, some hands on folk. If apostolic work, if pastoral work, if teaching work needs to be done, that's my job. To do what needs to be done. It may not look pretty. It might not flow nearly as smooth as somebody else's, but my job is to do it. And, and the, the danger is this, that we press to try to make something happen rather than letting it flow from us by the Holy Spirit because we know we're responsible to see change happen. And whenever... There's a tension between those two. I realize that there is not enough pressing that has gone on, to my, gone on in my life before this moment. Something needed to happen before I got here that didn't. 
and I can't make it happen now. I can't go to the store and buy it. Jesus said in Matthew 25, there were ten virgins. And these ten virgins all had oil, every one of them. And they were waiting for the bridegroom. And there's a shout that comes, and the bridegroom comes to them and says, it's time to go to the wedding feast. And, but the bridegroom was late. And remember, whenever somebody is late in the Bible, it doesn't mean that they were derelict. It means that they just didn't fit the time frame of the person who was waiting. We have watches. They did not. If somebody said we are going to have a party at such and such a time, they didn't say 2 o'clock. They said during this period. This is part of the reason that weddings went on for an entire week. People would have to walk a long way or they'd have to travel a long way, so you didn't want them to come for a day and go away. But the atmosphere was you could show up anytime you wanted. They didn't have this sense of late like we have the sense of late. There would people just show up. And if you go to many of the uh, non-Western world, that, especially in rural areas, they still have that mindset. So if you're going to have a birthday party, you give them the date. You don't give them the time. And they just show up whenever. So the bridegroom showed up. But he showed up in such a way that five of the virgins didn't have any oil. They ran out of that which they had. They had some, but they didn't have enough. And five had reserve. And the five who didn't have said, could you please give us some of yours? Because we've run out, the bridegroom has come. And the oil was that which they would use in order to illumine their pathway in the middle of the night to the bridegroom, bridegroom's place. And the, the, the five who had oil said, we can't give you any of ours because if we give you ours, then we won't have enough for the journey. And we've got to have enough for the journey because we're called to be with the bridegroom. And so the five who did not have went without. And it says that the five who did have said, why don't you go to the store and buy some? So they went, bought some. When they went to the bridegroom and the, the, the party, they got there, the doors were locked, meaning they had no access to the bridegroom to get what they needed. You don't want to be late for the party and you don't want to find yourself in a spot where you are in need and can't get. Sometimes I've wound up at places where I needed to provide and I couldn't. And I realized there was more pressing that needed to happen, more oil I needed to get somewhere back there. I didn't bring enough with me to this moment. Something I missed out back there that needed to be provided for here. And, and now I don't have it, and I can't get, get it at Safeway. I can't just conjure it up. Are, are you listening? Yes. Jesus realized it's going to require more than I've ever been able to give to go through this. And I can't come up wanting because all of humanity is depending on me. And he went to prayer, and he was so pressed that great drops of blood flowed from his body. God, I'm convinced, is calling us to get into the, to the oil press because in the oil press where you press olives to get the oil, it's a crushing. 
It is a mashing. And there he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, full of olive trees every place. Again, Gethsemane meaning oil press, where olives were just mashed into something that was unidentifiable in form. Only so, as much oil as possible could be drawn. And when you talk about the oil that can be drawn, there are two ways you can do it. You can cold press. Just take the olive oils and push them, mash them as much as you can and get it. And then you can, can add a little heat, which only accentuates the moment. Add a little heat so that every drop that's left in the mush can get out so that you can have as much as possible from you. And there is nothing fun about the press. It is painful. It is crucifying the flesh on a regular basis. It is picking up your cross. It is saying yes when you desperately want to say no. And everything about which I'm telling you is based on the press right now. Everything I'm going to come up with in a minute is based on the press. Here we have Jesus now confronted by Judas and all of his accusers. Coming to take him to his ultimate end for, for, for his purpose for which he came on the planet. And he says to them, who do you seek? Whom have you come after? They say, Jesus and Nazareth. He says, I'm him. Literally, he says, I am. Now, I don't think, it's my opinion, that when he said that, he was just purely identifying himself. That's all. But something came out of him that caused everybody who heard it to fall backwards. There was a casual power. It wasn't intentional. It just happened. Why? Unusual pressing. There's still some oil on the inside of you that needs to be pressed. There's some unmushed olives that need to be pounded so that you might have the kind of power that is so casual that when you speak, stuff you don't even intend to happen happens. Oh, you might be preaching a message. You've got a, you've got a point to your words. But something else occurs because you've been pressed so deeply yes. that so much oil is flowing out of your life that other stuff happens than that which you intended. I am. <laughs> what was that? What, 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 was, what was that? Casual power. And when the... There, there is going to, there's probably going to come a time in our, within our lifespan where we're going to experience more difficulty than comfort in our society as Christians. It's growing. Intolerance of who we are is increasing. And, and persecution might become the order of the day. 
And somebody might come looking for you because you're a leader in the church. You run small groups. You're a campus minister. You're a pastor. They might come looking for you. You want, you want the words you say to have more power than the syllables that you, that you exert, that you articulate. And you want, to, you want to be able to say, who are you looking for? And they say, Brett. And I am able to say, you found him, but I'm able to say so much more. He's dead. No, I wouldn't tell them that. But there's so little of me and so much of Jesus. So little of me and so much of Jesus that something casually comes out of me that I did not intend. Who are you looking for? You found more than you were looking for. That night they found more. They, they were looking for the man. They found God. And they felt him. They were looking for a dude that they could persecute. And in that moment, they saw God like they had never seen him or heard him. An opportunity for them to all come to the knowledge of the truth. One last shot. Here is my power just with two syllable words. I am. And it changed the entire environment. He did more with two syllables than any man has done in a thousand sermons. Are you listening? Why? Oh, he had spoken many, Sermon on the Mount, best ever, preached many times. But he never had that kind of impact when he opened his mouth. And you talk about the kind of refined oil that came out of Jesus? If there's anybody who didn't need pressing, it was him. Huh? I mean, roll out of bed and you do better than all of us put together. You don't need any exercise of, of spiritual discipline. You don't need any seminary training. He's God Almighty. He can do it better than all of us put together. But there he was in the place of pressing. And as a result, the finest oil came out of him. Oil that no man had ever seen come out. No man had ever heard. Casual power. Just accidental power. And then (laughs) you get Peter. (laughs) And I I, I don't want to be too critical of Peter. Peter. I'm looking at the back of his head if I'm in heaven. And I'm way back here. He's way up there toward the throne. He's got a, a crown on his, on his head. And he's thrown it at the throne. I mean, he's an amazing human being. But you just have to every once in a while think, what were you thinking? <laughs> what, what were you thinking? He just said two words. And the entire company of men that were coming to seize him Strong soldiers, Romans and Hebrew soldiers, fell out. Better than any preacher laying their hands on their head can make them fall out. 
They were literally blown away. And you think somehow that your sword is going to make a difference? He can do what Jesus, he could do what he wants. He doesn't need your sword. Yet, he feels a responsibility to be loyal, I think, because he's trying to prove what he said just a few hours earlier at the Last Supper. I'm your boy. You can count on me. I ain't going to, I am not going to betray you. All else may fail, but not me. Watch. when you don't allow the press to come in your life, the flesh takes over. And you begin to employ solutions that are ill-fitted for the job. Peter stayed asleep. He just couldn't figure out how to pray. Three times Jesus came to him. Three. He asked him, come with me. Pray. Stand. Stand with me. Can you just stand with me for an hour? Watch with me. He prayed for an hour. Came back. Disciples were sleeping. Why are you Get up. Get up. He goes back and pray. He comes back. They're sleeping again. Hey, come on. Come on. Fellas, okay. Two. Let's, let, one out of three won't be real bad. I'm going to go back and pray. He comes back a third time. They're still asleep. They didn't allow any pressing in their life. And so, when you don't allow any pressing, you respond out of that which you know. And the flesh never accomplishes things in the spirit. And generally, when you respond out of the flesh, you cut off whoever you're ministering to, their ability to hear. You reduce their ability especially to hear you. You ever been mad at somebody and felt it was the anointing of God? (laughs) You knew they needed to be rebuked. They needed a tongue lashing. They needed to hear what they did to you. And you're going to give them a piece of your mind. You're going to forgive them afterwards, but not until. (laughs) And because you responded in the flesh, you cut off their ability to hear you. And what you're going to say next, what restoration looks like, what reconciliation looks like, they're not going to listen to you anymore. I know I've lived long enough to make a lot of mistakes in ministry. And when you make mistakes in ministry, you make them on people. It's It's impossible not to do. And all you can do is repent when you do it. Do your best. But when a pastor, when a leader makes a mistake with somebody... That person might come to church, but now they are hearing them through the offense. And they have lost the ability to hear them well. I've cut off their ear and I didn't know it. 
I was aiming for their heart, trying to do surgery. I messed up in the process, and I cut off their ability to hear me. And if there's not reconciliation, usually they leave. They find someplace else to go because they can't hear me anymore. And the only way they can hear well is if Jesus slaps the ear back on their head. That's it. That's the only way. God, you need to do a miracle. I can't fix this. I'm sorry. I blew it. I blew it. And I've done all I know how to do. And if you don't fix his ears, if you don't fix your ears, there's no way they're ever going to be able to hear again. At least not me. I beg you, slap it back on their head, please. Put it back. Put Put it back. Pressing will allow you to respond well when the enemy, in the face of a human being, comes to you. When somebody is coming after you, when they aren't motivated by, by good intentions, it will allow you to respond in such a way as that they will hear what you have got to say. It might cost you still, but it's going to cost you anyway. I mean, you're going to pay the price regardless. Just don't make them pay. As I close, justice needs to be meted out in certain circumstances. But remember, justice demands that somebody else pay to make you feel right. Reconciliation says that I'm willing to pay in order that you might be right. So even if you have brought about justice, you're not done. Because the ultimate goal in God is to get them right, not you. (laughs) Let's pray. Daddy, I'm asking for your grace, please. Help us to tap into the casual power that comes from pressing the olive press that squeezes out all the oil necessary, the anointing, the grace, the power to minister to people well. And help us not to fall asleep when you ask us to come be with you. Help us to watch and pray. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.